Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It sounds silly today, but I used to pride myself on my handshake. Firm, warm, full of sincerity. I adapted to continental cheek kissing. I even managed to enjoy the occasional Hollywood hug. But now... It's a bit like a Morris dance. You meet someone and you hang back a bit and you might wave and then you might do the elbow thing and some people do a shoulder thing. And some people do nothing at all. For many, it's created a sad, tactile deficit. I want the sense of social reality that I really think we're missing. It's almost like I'm missing a layer of my friends. Without touch, I'm missing an aspect of my friends' lives, and it somehow doesn't feel real. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Lost Touch. Cast your mind back to the olden days. Brrrring. Last January, say. Think of what you touched back then. Handrails, doorknobs, money. Think of who you touched back then. The hearty handshake for the business colleague. The cheek to cheek and mwah mwah of the friend. The slap on the back. The hand on the shoulder. Of course, not everywhere and not all the time. We've been colleagues for such a long time, I can't remember how long. But I think like most British workplaces, we would never dream of touching each other in the workplace. No one at the Times greets each other, do they, by hugging and kissing. Helen Rumbelow has been writing for the Times since 1997. Nowadays, you'll read most of her work in Times 2 or in her regular columns. But then we did, by complete chance, bump into each other a few days ago. In normal times, there'd be that moment of hesitancy, wouldn't there, about, well, should we now kiss on the cheek? Should we hug? Should we shake hands? Should we do nothing? There's that ambiguity there. You're switching codes, aren't you? But pandemic rules took that all away two meters away fine i thought it made it slightly easier actually because yeah because it meant we could bump elbows we bumped elbows which is bizarre isn't it that started as a joke and i think it's still carrying on as a bit of a joke but people do it anyway it's a bit like a morris dance you meet someone and you hang back a bit and you might wave and then you might do the elbow thing and some people do a shoulder thing. 
it's just the strange Morris dance of loneliness I was thinking. It's something people do with a kind of silly smile on their face, but I think inside they are feeling quite sad. Among Hannon's recent articles was one on the previous results of the touch test, which she'd first written about when it was published in February. A piece of work done in collaboration with the Wellcome Trust, a bunch of academics and the BBC, to take the temperature really of Britain and about their tolerance for touch. I think no real research has been done for many decades. And I think we're still laboring under the illusion that we're all these dry old sticks of the 1950s and beyond. Helen took part in this survey to see how she rated. They asked a lot of questions, mainly about how open you are to touch from various different kinds of people, doctors, colleagues, friends, robots. So it was done about 40,000 people took part. So it really did give quite a good flavour, I think, of where we're at on touch. So the questions would say, who has touched you in the last week or month, or who have you touched in the last week or month? Was it at that level of detail? That level of detail. It was really detailed, actually. It took about 20 minutes. But it was also like, how would you feel about a pat on the arm from your colleague? How would you feel about a pat on the thigh from your colleague? It's about different scenarios. And Sometimes like fill in maps about where you would squeal if someone touched you in public, that kind of thing. What was odd about doing the survey back in February, and this is what I find strange about reviewing the article I did then about touch, was that we were so steeped in this anxiety about touch. We'd come off a few years of the Me Too movement, we'd come off a few years of everyday sexism. All the preoccupation was with too much touch and people who feel overtouched and sensitivity around touch. And I look back now and think we were really drowning then and now we're dying of thirst. It's almost like looking back at a more innocent time there are ideas then about no touch policies in universities and schools. And now you just think, wow, you really do have your no touch policy now. When you were filling in the survey, were you thinking mostly about being touched rather than touching? Yes, I was. And that was really the focus of the survey. So some things definitely gave me pause because there was, for instance, a section of it about robotic touch. And I was initially finding that quite a creepy idea. But then when I started answering the questions, I started thinking, well, actually, yeah, if I did go to the doctor with something truly embarrassing, maybe I would actually prefer a robot examination. I was kind of surprised myself, like how open I was to that idea. So there were other bits where they were talking about touch, for instance, before you go to sleep. And I was finding that kind of creepy. Who are these people that can sleep tangled up in each other's arms? They were asking about touch between yourself and your partner when you're in public. I had to mark little zones on the map and I was realizing it was basically exactly the same as the tolerance of touch I'd have for my friends or similar as I was going through this service, I started to kind of get this picture of myself as actually much more Mary Poppins than I'd ever previously <laughs> imagined. I didn't think of myself as so touchphobic, but I was wondering. The weight of no's I was giving in this answer, I was thinking, wow, yeah, I really do need to chill out a bit more. So you actually discovered things about yourself when you took the survey by virtue of having to answer questions that you hadn't maybe liked to ask yourself before. 
definitely. And I think that holds true of the pandemic, doesn't it? There's a lot of reflection now on touch that no one ever thought about before. I'd say that to me, this feels strange when we could go back to the February survey, because I was brought up in a situation where very, very few people touched each other at all. Yeah. And then in came all these what seemed first continental and then American habits. In comes the cheek kissing, mm. which I wasn't brought up with. And then in comes the American hugging. And people start on reality TV shows who meet each other for the first time, hug each other and kiss each other on, on the cheeks. Yeah. So I thought we were moving in that direction but you're describing something which has taken us very rapidly in the other direction well i think as well you're talking about the european kiss and the american hug i think in britain we are geographically between the two but also in our adoption of both those habits i think that led to a bit of confusion americans know they're going to hug and the french know they're going to kiss but in britain we've adopted both it's a bit like our language isn't it we kind of take in these you know, outside influences and mix them up. But you would never be quite sure with a friend, I think, whether you were going for that kind of shoulder hug or a kiss on the cheek. And it got to the point where I was doing interviews in the course of my work and there was absolutely no certainty about whether you were doing the handshake, whether you're doing the handshake plus hug, the kiss on the cheek. If it was an American that I was meeting you know, all bets were off. I was like finding myself with my tongue down actresses' ears <laughs> accidentally because of simply that ambiguity. I think that was part of the motivation for the touch test because there's so many kind of swirling currents going around. That informality that saw Michelle Obama hug the Queen, but at the same time that this anxiety about the wrong kind of touch and the withdrawal from physical interaction. Both things were going at the same time of where they were heading. Who knows? I mean, old people were regarded as these stiff upper lip types. And I think about my grandparents brought up by Victorians. Everything since then has got a lot more huggy, hasn't it? One of those working on the survey Helen took part in and someone who's been studying touch for many years is... Katerina Fotopoulou. I'm a professor of psychodynamic neuroscience at UCL. Katerina, from your research, can we say why touch is so important to human beings? You could answer why touch is important in so many ways. My favourite way is to say that when we are born as humans, more than any other animal, we do not have the capacity to move purposefully and independently. And all scientists agree on that. There is no debate, which is a rare thing for science. We are born with a so-called motor immaturity, more than other even mammals that are closer to us in evolutionary terms. And that means that in order for us to survive, but also in order for us to grow psychologically, we need our co-specifics, that's our caregivers, to take care of us via touch. There's no way you can feed somebody without touching them. Babies need their mothers and fathers and other caregivers to hold them up, to feed them, to stroke them. So all the initial communication upon which the whole of our mind and brain developed is done via touch. And hence, it remains a lifelong need for us to be bathed in social. Now, if that's the case, what effect does the deprivation of touch have on people when they get older? 
The quick answer is we don't know. And certainly before COVID, we didn't even have good indications in humans. In animals, we've been doing for decades research where we deprive animals from co-specific touch. And the effects are devastating for body and mind alike. Animals become more sick. They develop literally more diseases and their responses to threat of all kinds is worse. And they're more likely to die. And they're also showing the human equivalent of psychological stress. In humans, obviously, it wouldn't be ethical to deprive people from touch for a long, long time. We do some brief experiments in the lab, and you do see similar effects. For example, we tested in my lab, if you give people safe pain in the lab, which is a threatening stimulus for both the body and the mind, and you provide social support via a particularly pleasant type of touch versus a less pleasant type of touch. We see that touch helps people downregulate the behavioural, the subjective, but also the neural responses to pain. In other terms, the brain can handle pain differently if there is touch, social touch. So we see that in humans as well as in animals, touch has a tremendous influence in how we fare psychologically and physically. And COVID, of course, has been such an example where suddenly lots of people were not able to touch their relatives and their loved ones. And we are just now beginning to understand the consequences of this. But on the basis of people's report, you have increased loneliness, you have increased anxiety, you have possibly even a sense of unreality. Something is off when you haven't had the chance to touch people around you in the same way as before. Are you saying that COVID has been like a vast experiment of a kind that actually you couldn't carry out in the laboratory for ethical reasons? Exactly. It has been a kind of unfortunate, uh, necessary, um, inevitable experiment to save lives. But from the point of view of researchers like me, that gave us an opportunity to also try to remotely study how people experience touch deprivation. When the results of the touch test were released, it showed almost three quarters of people taking the test reported a positive attitude towards touch. And unlike Helen, 88% of people seem to like public displays of affection by their partners. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times on the Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's talk about the difference between what you found yourself writing in February and then what you found yourself writing in October and how things had changed. I remember I actually reported this story by going to the professor's office in his university, which was actively engaged in teaching on my audio tape. I can actually hear students outside the door waiting for some live instruction. And then I did an hour of conversation with the touch expert about touch, which makes you slightly self-conscious about touch. But at the end of the conversation, we did shake hands very self-consciously. And now I look back and I think, I actually wonder whether that was the last hand I ever shook, because that is a gesture that is gone. I do touch people within my household, but obviously I'm not shaking their hand. I remember one of my editors said at the time, oh, there's this virologist on the news saying maybe we shouldn't shake hands. And we all kind of thought it was amusing. And I thought, oh, I'll put that in the piece. It's kind of funny. Here we are. Now, what we've been talking about is the impact upon the individual of touch, lack of touch, and so on. What can we say about the impact of a change like we've experienced in the pandemic to our lives as social creatures? Yes, it's a lovely perspective to think about. I think for all of us, COVID had, uh, despite its devastation, some silver linings. I think people are reconsidering their social well-being and how they want social relationships to be. In the case of touch, what has become obvious in the various surveys we did during COVID is that people are willing to think about touch in verbal, reflective senses. And that is one characteristic of touch. It's a mentality we take for granted. It's not a mentality we think about. We don't think what the contribution of touch is to our relationships. We just go out there and do it. But because we can't, paradoxically, COVID has made us externalize and verbalize and symbolize that relationship we have with touch. And what we see is that people now say we want the real thing. We used to take it for granted, but now we appreciate its values. And we believe that a society without intimate touch, but also potentially without professional touch, for example, handshakes, is a less desirable society. And one further aspect we want to look more with in our lab is the concept of the relationship between touch and reality. So there's the sense, very acutely became clear more recently, that when you interact with people just in screens, which means using a two-dimensional visual and auditory uh, channel, you're missing something and then this relationship doesn't feel real. And the brain keeps reminding us that there's something not real, not physical, it's not the full thing. And touch is missing, physicality is missing. The third dimension is missing. And even though there's a lot of things that we can do via computers, two things start to emerge. First, we need to find ways to add touch in our computers, to add a digital mediated touch so that people can use technology to facilitate tactile communications. And the second is that we cannot do everything via computers. And some things are are, uh, done technologically, and some things require the actual body. What you've just said is completely fascinating, and for me, an eye-opener. But let's just stick for the moment with this point about what touch-sensitive robotics can do. I'm having some difficulty imagining what they might be. Could you draw a picture for me? We developed some of these prototypes to see exactly that. How could people communicate via touch 
across distances. And what we did, for example, create is two mittens. So that, let's say, I would have my mitten in my living room by my computer. It would be linked to my computer. And it's, of course, a special mitten. So it has all sorts of sensors in it. And you would have yours. And as uh, we would be friends and you would be communicating to me that you just lost your job. So instead of me just verbally and maybe with facial expressions or maybe with visual emoticons, communicate to you that this is a sad event and you have my support. I may be also stroking my mitten in a way that will make your mitten vibrate a little bit or become a bit warmer or change in some sensory quality that we piloted with our subject to make it desirable and to make it also acceptable. So, of course, it's not perceived as inappropriate. But it's a funny thing that we've gone from, isn't it? Because there we are in February where our concentration is at least partially on inappropriate touch, which is essentially too much touching of the wrong sort. Yeah. And then by autumn now, we're talking about people who are touch-deprived. It's been a complete 180-degree gear shift. It's almost like a cosmic joke. Whenever I spoke to these touch experts again after six months, you know, they were almost like laughing about the idea of having a touch test over the course of this pandemic. When I think about it, the unique thing is not a pandemic. The world has had pandemics before, but the unique thing is this complete ban on touching of so many kinds. That's the experiment that we haven't conducted before. We're essentially primates that are meant to be constantly grooming each other and to then for six months say, that's banned. That's the kind of weird thing that we're perhaps not focusing on as much as we could. It's just the strangeness of that. Interestingly, we asked the participants in one of our surveys we ran with collaborators in Mexico and in Paris, would you consider using some of these uh, devices to do certain tactile functions, such as communicate touch or a handshake and other examples? And we found enthusiastic response. So most people, not everybody, but most people were very open to the possibility of this kind of touch. But as COVID days progressed, when we ran a second survey two weeks later, and we ask people about now how you feel about the same questions versus in the past, we saw that actually, as people were becoming more touch deprived, they were less willing to consider some of these devices because they were missing the real thing. Interesting. So there's a sense where our devices cannot be too real because then they become uncanny and uncomfortable. But also, they need to somehow convey in similar ways some of the original embodied interactions. In other words, they could help, but they're not going to be a replacement. Do you get the impression that some people actually cope rather well with the new world of no touch? Definitely. And when I've written about this in The Times, we actually get quite a vocal minority of people saying, what a relief. They have felt completely claustrophobic or touched out over the decades since we all loosened up. And now it's like bliss having people at two meters removed. I think the figures showed about 3% of people feel completely overtouched. And I certainly have had times in my life when I feel like that with toddlers 
<laughs> gooing all over you. And you basically want to just kind of lock the door and be put in isolation. How has the pandemic affected your own feeling and thinking about touch? I mean, have you yourself turned into a kind of new Howard Hughes, you know, tissue uh, paper between no. almost every touch? If you pat somebody on the shoulder, Kleenex first. I think I've gone the other way. I don't know why. I mean, I think, as we discussed, I'm not a super huggy person, but then... I just feel like people are over paranoid about touch. Very strange. Just before the pandemic, I read The Machine Stops by H.G. Wells. It basically predicts in almost every way the effect of the pandemic. And it just made me realize how sad that vision was of everyone alone in their pods. And I think I've gone the other way now. I feel like if a really strong lockdown was announced again, I'd almost be rushing to kind of fill the house and live in a commune situation. It's made me realise how lucky I was to have people around me when we were locked down. What do you think those who really miss touch can do? Yeah, I mean, I got a couple of ideas from these researchers and they were slightly absurd. So... For instance, if you want to practice safe hugging, you can rub shoulders or rub forearms. Those are a couple of ideas. They probably make you look a bit crazy now, like some big bear from the Jungle Book frotting away against your friend. But I think there are other things. If you are prepared to wrap yourself up in blankets, that was other things experts talked about. I mean, we also kind of went down a line of, inquiry about actually watching videos of touch. When you see touch, the brain, as it were, activates or gets in the same position, in the same state as when you experience touch. So we wanted to explore whether seeing touch is actually helpful to our mental health during COVID. And we did find, indeed, that people under certain circumstances were helped, were felt somewhat calmed down in some of the concerns where they saw a sort of calming scenes of human-to-human touch, or when they saw soothing scenes of pet stroking. But when we showed them interactions between humans and robots, such as, again, a small robot or a pillow that could vibrate a little bit, we didn't actually find this effect. So there seems that pet-to-human touch and human-to-human touch in the visual domain are more soothing than artificial-to-human touch when you see people hug, is actually activating this kind of illicit sense of rule-breaking or wrongdoing or taboo, which I feel like there's going to be a hug reel that people watch before bed or something. Do you think about this, that what's going to happen is that different people will have very different reactions to it and that when the pandemic is over, some people will never go back to touching in the way they did and some people will say, I'm allowed to touch and be touched now and I'm going to go for it. I think it would take a long time for that kind of, what would be the word for it, anthrophobia or fear of other humans to wear off. I think that's the big question no one can answer is like, how resilient or adaptable are we? I mean, what surprised me about this pandemic is how quickly we've adjusted to really bizarre restrictions. But then, how quickly will we? bounce back afterwards what will be permanently changed i think the handshake will for sure go because that serves no real function as far as i can see 
But hugging and kissing of strangers, that will be really interesting, won't it? How quickly we adapt back to that. Do you feel that when the pandemic is over, you just want to go out and hug your friends again? Or do you feel it making you reluctant? No, I really cannot wait. (laughs) Hugs, hugs all the way, indeed. But it's not that I want to go and run and just the first thing I do is hug people. It's that I want to be able to monitor the messages communicated with my friends and to enhance them with touch. So if somebody says something sad, I want to be able to pat them in the back. If somebody says something happy, I want to be able to jump. If somebody is going through something difficult, I want to be able to squeeze their hand. So I I want all of this repertoire of communication that touch affords that I think we have missed. And the second is I want the sense of social reality that I really think we're missing. It's almost like I'm missing a layer of my friends. Without touch, I'm missing an aspect of my friends' lives and it somehow doesn't feel real. Isn't this interesting? A year ago, we were worried about unwanted touch. Twelve months on, and we feel the loss of wanted touch. We like to think of ourselves as rational beings guided by thought, but in some aspects of our existences, we're animals, needing things we barely have names for, like the warmth, smell perhaps, and physical existence of others. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Times feature writer Helen Rumbelow and Professor of Psychodynamic Neuroscience at University College London, Katerina Fotopoulou. You can read more of Helen's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond. Executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Tom Birchall. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And now we're available on the Times radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you again soon. Feel you again soon. Touch you again soon. Okay, well, maybe not. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 